0: We come to your word and it calls forth from us a life that only you can give. And So God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to live worthy of Christ. That we might walk pleasing to him and use now this particular passage, this particular word today. To strengthen, to renew, to enable us. To walk worthy of Christ. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, please. Uh, I want to read really just two verses and camp on one. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, please. I want to read verses 18 and 19. We've been at these couple of verses now for a few weeks. This should... Bring these two to a close, although there's one more thought in my mind that I won't be able to get to today that I might take up next week. I just don't know yet. So anyway, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Hear the word of God. Wives, submit to your husbands as it's fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I want to take up this verse 19 if God will help us. God will help me. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them it's funny these two things why is it that god would want to tell husbands to love their wives shouldn't that be a no-brainer i mean can't that go without saying and secondly why does he add in the midst of that that we shouldn't husbands, shouldn't be harsh with their wives so i want to take up those two points uh, today this this idea of husbands loving their wives. In, in some sense, yes, is a no-brainer, but if you look down through history, you realize that husbands haven't always loved their wives. There have been all kinds of views of husbands still held in these days in various ways that wives, women, are simply property, or that it's all right in some cultures, and it has been throughout history, for men, for husbands, to have mistresses for their pleasure, and their wives bear children and take care of the household, but they sort of go off and Wander out. And while in our culture that isn't so accepted, so to speak, in that particular way, how much infidelity is there in the context of marriage? Do not men still need to be called back to loving their wives? And it seems that love, even love in the context of marriage, can be rather cheap. And every culture, most especially in our day, so that it can be fallen into and out of, it seems, almost on a daily, if not hourly, basis, and thus that kind of marital love might need to be commanded again, most especially because this kind of love is the kind of love that Christ has for the church. We read in our responsive reading this morning that husbands are to love their wives as Christ has loved the church. And that is because husbands are head, the head of their wives. Notice how Paul puts it in um, Ephesians 5, verse 22 Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body, and is himself. It saves you now. When we we look at this, we realize that there is some sense in which, which which husbands are are related to wife as Christ is related, is related to church. And we get this sense too in this next to the last verse in this section, verse thirty two. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The mystery of marriage isn't that wives submit to husbands or husbands are head of their wife. The mystery is all of that points to Christ. The mystery is that God has laid that out in such a way. Marriage, so that people would see the love of Christ and see the love we're to have for Christ in this institution, in this relationship of of marriage. If if you think about the Garden of Eden and and you realize that God made Eve for Adam. And as a person who officiates at lots of weddings, I always wonder about that one. What was that one like? with Adam and Eve. Who gave the bride away? (laughs) God did. He says, she's your bride. I want you to be her head. I want you to lead her and protect her, provide for her, watch out for her, care for her. And I want this to be a picture of another marriage. I want this to be a picture of of me giving a bride to my son. I want that bride to be the church and he will be head over her to intercede for her, to provide for her, to protect her, to care for her. And she will love him and submit to him. And so you get this sense of picture here of Christ in the church, of Adam and Eve, of husbands and wives. And so this, this special relationship is, is formed as of husband as head, as Christ It said, what's that mean to be head? Well, in the Bible, the word for head, the Greek word for head, can have a couple or three different meanings. One is to mean your head, uh, that thing that sits on your shoulders. Clearly, that's not it here. She, husbands are not (laughs) the wife's physical head. Good thing. Um, Second, it could mean source. We use the expression of of the head of a river, for instance, as the source out of which the rest of the river flows. And, And you get a sense that, yes, Adam was... Eve's head in the sense that she was made from him. But there's a, another sense, a more more predominant sense, and, and we can see that as Paul writes to this church in Ephesus as he describes Jesus, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, uh, we read this, uh, if I could just pick up in verse 22. It says, And he... Uh, That is, God put all things under his feet, that is, under Jesus' feet, and gave him as head, same word, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Yes, Christ fills us as head, but, but more than that, he's the head over all things. He, he rules over all things for our sake. He oversees all things for the sake of his, of his people, of his church. And there, there's a sense in which Adam was to be that way as well. You remember in the garden that he was created first. And as the one created first, he was given this priority. He was given this, this command of God. And, and this command of God was, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of every other tree, but not this one. For if you eat of that tree, you'll surely die. And there's a sense in which Adam being created first, at that point in time Eve wasn't created, and he was the one with that information, with that particular command, that Eve was made for him. And we see his headship, we see his authority, if you will, how he rules over the garden in a way that he names all of the animals, he even names her. And he has this special place. They're equal, both Adam and Eve, as we've been mentioning for the last two weeks, that that they were created both in the image of God, both in his image, to reflect him, to to love him, to serve him, to honor him, to worship him. Um, Both together to subdue the earth, to take dominion over it, to be together fruitful and multiply. And all of that equal, yes, in their standing before God, but, but different, complementary in their roles and in their relationship. That image is God, of course, as we've mentioned over and over, because in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is headship and submission. The Father sends the Son. The Son Son submits to His Father. Uh, There is no inferiority, no superiority, both equal, yet one head, one submitting to the other same in the context of marriage not one inferior not one superior not one with dignity not one without dignity but but yet both equal yet in the context of their life together in their relationship together there are these complementary roles husband head to lead as Adam was to lead in the garden to to protect to provide that sense of responsibility for his wife to his wife we know that Adam abdicated his responsibility. There he was to lead her in the garden, to protect her and provide, both materially and and, and spiritually, because it was all bound up together. If he would obey God, then spiritually they would have relationship with God. Materially they would have all that they needed. If they would disobey God, then, then death would come. Physically, there would be issues. Spiritually, there'd be issues that'd be separated from God. So, so here it rested, you see, on Adam as, as head of the garden and head over head of his wife. And he abdicated that responsibility. When Satan came into the garden, Adam should have kicked him out. When Eve came to him and said, eat of this, he should have said, no. But he didn't. And in abdicating his responsibility and abdicating that authority and abdicating his leadership and abdicating his place in her life to protect and provide, then sin entered, death entered, and spiritually and materially and physically, everything was turned on its ear. And now Christ comes to redeem, and he says, "I want to redeem my people." so he does. And, he, and he, he loves His people. And He gives Himself for His people. And He loves us as His very own. And, and we see the lengths to which Christ went in His, in his love for us. He, he sanctified us. That is, He set us apart to be His. It's as if He, he, he put His gaze upon us. He says, I want that one and that one and that one and that one. I'm going to court them. I'm going to make them my own. He sets us apart to be His. Cleanses us so that we can be His for the very purpose that we would be a radiant bride that we would be beautiful that we would be lovely in every kind of way fitting for him as husband you see and now he turns to husbands and he says love your wives like that See, there's never any command in the scripture for husbands to be head of their wives it's not a commandment it's a fact this is, you are that. So, since you're that, here's how you express that. The way that you express being head is to love your wives, husbands, as Christ has loved the church. I, I have to point this way today, don't I? <laughs> love your wives. Love our wives as Christ has loved the church. That's what we're, that's what we're to do. And in loving, therefore, we realize that we're responsible her to lead her to protect her to provide for her that's the call of a husband for a wife now you'll notice there's another passage, turn to 1 Peter quickly, 1 Peter in chapter 3 just want to make these observations about these texts and then we'll apply them 1 Peter in chapter 3 and and verse 7 Peter writes, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So, husbands, in, 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 in being head of wife, who is to be submissive, as we mentioned last Sunday, and walk through all of that, husbands are to express their love, as Christ has loved the church and, as I didn't say from Ephesians 5, as loving their own bodies. But he says your t- husbands are to love their wives in an understanding way or literally it means with knowledge. We're to love our wives in such a way that we know something. What is it that we're to know in order to love our wives? What is it that we're to know, husbands, to, to, to really be head and to express that headship rightly what are we to know what are we to understand well it could be that we're to understand God's arrangement for marriage husbands, head, wives, submit know that, yes we're to know that perhaps also to to know about our wives to to understand them the best we can as men to understand them right? to understand her goals to understand her passions to understand her, her gifts Perhaps it is to understand in some sense how it is that God has made women different than men. To have a sense of understanding. of Love your wives in an understanding way. But, but, but he goes on to kind of lay and, and unpack this for us. He says that husbands are to show honor to their wives. So that tells us something already. That we're to honor our wives in a particular way. So we're to not demean them, not to enslave them, but to honor them as the weaker vessel oh, that 's got many a preacher in trouble. a little expression. What does that mean? As the weaker vessel? one of two things: one, physically weaker. Not intellectually weaker, not, not emotionally weaker, but, but, but physically weaker. There's a sense of, of men being stronger physically than women generally. Now, there's, there's a continuum here. There are some women stronger than some men. That's simply true. But on the whole of it, when there's a tennis tournament, the men play and the women play. I mean, there's a difference here. We understand that, that difference. And so there's a physical strength difference, men and women. So, first of all, understand that fact understand therefore husbands that you have a particular place in the life of your wife to protect her physically because you're stronger and so you should and even if she isn't stronger you still have a place Uh, if there's a burglar in the basement husbands even if your wife is a black belt in karate you go first no man, no husband, whatever you know even if you're a reaper you, Isn't that that little mouse's name in, in the Aslan stories? You know, there you go. Uh, you might look small, but you should talk big... ...when you're with your wife, right? That's just the way that it is. So you have a, a sense of protecting her... ...physically, as the weaker vessel. And, and that should be always, always in your mind. Um, and I encourage men to go through various disciplines and habits. Even though your wife doesn't need you to open the door, she's capable of doing that. She's physically strong enough to do that. But it's a reminder to you. It's a reminder to her. No, I'm here to protect you. I know you don't need me to do this, but but to do it, you know? Uh, Carry the groceries. Carry the heavy loads, even if she could do it better, you know? Um, Work at that jar on the mayonnaise lid as long as you can, even if you have to... To break something, to open it—I mean, just do that. Right? Um, uh, carry your books; don't carry your purse. <laughs> it's way too heavy. Uh, but, but, <laughs> walk on the side of the road that's closest to the street, just to say, "I'm here to protect you." If some car goes off the road, you see, do those kinds of things, just as a reminder to you, as a reminder to her. Yes, I understand my place. I know you don 't need these things, but, but these things are still good because they're cultural reminders they 're reminders to me. Let me do these things for you so that it can be a reminder to both of us, this calling that I have, so i don 't abdicate that respect. You know Men get careless, and, and all of a sudden wives start you know um, chopping wood and stuff and, and, and I shouldn 't have used that as an example because you probably do in this. But you know what I mean so. We get careless on those things that maybe don't mean anything at all and we forget, oh yes, I'm to protect physically. Not only that, there's this sense that I shouldn't take advantage of my physical presence. I shouldn't take advantage of my physical strength in order to make my wife submit. It's interesting that in Colossians, all that that Paul adds there, husbands love your wives, don't be harsh with them. Why does he have to say that? Because of the the physical differences between husband and wife, husbands and wives, most generally, is such that just the physical presence, his physical strength, could enable him to force his wife to do certain things, to think certain things, to behave in particular ways, just by harshness. And Paul's saying, remember, give her honor. Peter says, give her honor as the weaker vessel. Don't be harsh with her. Don't take advantage of your your physical presence. That isn't manly. That isn't what being head means. But then there's this second thing that we understand in the context of wives in this weaker vessel being weaker in the partnership, being in a weaker position. Weaker in a sense as, as God has established this arrangement of marriage of headship and submission. God has said to the wife, be submissive to your husband. That puts her in a vulnerable position. That puts her in a very much of a trusting position to be there. I think if I were a wife, I would say to God, okay, I'll be submissive. Just don't tell him. Because because once he knows, can I really trust him? And so, so God is saying in this weaker vessel passage, I think, Husbands, don't take advantage of this situation, but understand the huge responsibility that you have. This isn't just a a cavalier thing that you're the head. It's huge in a very real sense. Your wife's life and well-being is in your hands. Not in an absolute way. God is sovereign over all things, obviously. She's related to him. He will protect her. He'll provide. He'll care for her. But he says, the means by which I'm going to do that, the means by which I desire to do that, is through you, husband. So, so, so understand this position. She's vulnerable. She's dependent upon you. When you make decisions, when you live your life, you live it in such a way as to know that she is vulnerable. She's trusting if you go down the tubes, she goes down the tubes. If you prosper, she prospers. So understand, that's the place you're in. So honor her. Treat her delicately. Because you see, you see, God has put her in this position. And then Peter goes on simply to say, And oh, by the way, do all of this so that your prayers may not be hindered. That is to say, if you don't love your wives like this, then there will be a disruption in your praying. It could be a disruption in your praying that your prayers are hindered because you won't pray. Because someone who lives like this, who treats his wife improperly, is no doubt an arrogant man thinking that that he's sort of God and he doesn't really need God. And so your prayers will be hindered. You won't be praying. But secondly, how can you have confidence before God as you intercede for yourself, as you intercede for your family, if you're not treating your wife rightly? John speaks of this in in 1st John in chapter 3 uh, verse 21 he writes Beloved if our heart does not condemn us we have confidence before God and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. If a husband is not loving his wife well he will have no confidence before God when he prays and his prayers will be hindered. In fact, my sense is, whatever it is that he is praying, God will hear, blah, 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 blah. I repent. (laughs) As the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, the Holy Spirit will be interceding in the midst of all of our praying, no matter what our requests are, that the the Spirit's going to be saying, oh yeah, he's saying a bunch of stuff, Father, but what he really needs to do is repent. And the Father will say, okay, call me when he repents. Right? Your prayers will be hindered. Now, that expression, man, should put fear in our souls. The expression that our prayers could be hindered should put fear in our souls. Because to think that we're in this alone, to think that we're in a situation where God has called us to be head and, and And we can't call upon Him to make us realize that we'll be totally, totally, totally incapable of anything good. We must pray. If we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We must pray. If we're going to have the strength to be her protector and provider, we must pray, you see. And so, so what does this really mean that a husband is to be head of his wife? Well again he's to, to lead, he's to take the lead in, in this these ideas of, of material and physical and spiritual protection and, and provision in material provision a husband is to understand that it's his role to provide for his wife to provide for his family that doesn't mean she can't work outside the home the Proverbs 30, one woman made money and was a very prosperous woman and all of that but her husband would have known that no matter what she was doing it was ultimately his responsibility to make certain that she was cared for she was provided for and, and that, that he would never encourage her in any of her business dealings that would, that would take away from her, her calling as wife As mother, as nurturer, that it wouldn't supersede any of that, and that he wouldn't—he wouldn't allow her, if you will, he wouldn't encourage her to make money if it just caused him to be lazy and to abdicate any responsibility he would have for that. Doesn't mean she can't work outside the home. Doesn't mean she can't make more money than he does, given what her skills in the marketplace might be. But he knows, every husband knows, And the bottom line—that depends on him. He's the one who's responsible to make certain that she is materially cared for and his family thus is true with spiritual provision as well it isn't that he's christ to her he's not he isn't that he's our savior it isn't it isn't that that, that everything that that comes from christ to the family is mediated through him necessarily no no she's her own person she she comes to christ she is she's an heir a joint heir as the passage in 1 Peter says, but but the husband knows that he's been placed in a particular position with a responsibility to live his life in such a way that his wife is protected spiritually. He's to take that lead. On some families it means that husbands then say, well, let's read the scripture together, let's pray together, let's have this devotional time together as husband and wife and family. It may mean that That he simply sits with his wife and they they talk about spiritual things. He talks about what he's reading. She talks about what she's reading in the scripture, what they're learning in church, what they're learning in Bible studies. They, They talk about these kinds of things. But there's a spiritual conversation going on. And he's interested, what's going on in your life, in your relationship with God? How can I help prosper that relationship that you have with God? There's this sense of spiritual protection and provision. And that he's to live his life in such a way. God is pleased with him and God is pleased with his family and so when difficult times come there's, his accounts with God are sufficiently short that he can call upon God at any moment in time to intercede for his wife and to pray for her and to help her he's to give good godly and wise counsel spiritually to his wife as she comes to live out her life before God, he's to help her to to live and to dress modestly so that her life is pleasing to God and he's to honor her in that way. This spiritual provision, this spiritual protection that at any moment in time she should have this comfort to know that that he will stand in the gap for me, that he'll, he'll intercede for me to love me. I was in the mood this week of making lists. I I made this list of of what it doesn't mean for a husband to be head of his wife. I'll just throw these out, a few I'll make comment on. First, that that it doesn't mean that the husband has the right to control his wife's life. That isn't what it's about. It isn't about control, it isn't about, about exerting authority. It's about honoring one's wife and freeing her to be the woman that God has called her to be. It doesn't mean that the husband makes all the decisions. What a foolish man. To make every decision when you have a wife who understands life. It does mean he's responsible to lead the direction of his family, but, but but it doesn't mean that he will not delegate. You know, the father has delegated to the son, the father has delegated to Jesus some fairly important things like atonement, like judgment. But yet the son does those always in submission to the Father because of their relationship. Much is delegated in the context of family life. Many decisions made by wife. The husband isn't Christ to her. That is, that uh, um, a wife doesn't come to God through him, through her husband. First um, Peter 3 is a believing woman married to an unbelieving man. She's submissive to him. He still is her head. But yet, she's come to Christ apart from him. Being the head doesn't mean a husband can be selfish and do as he pleases. Being head doesn't mean that he can be lazy. Uh, Being head uh, doesn't mean that the husband is out to create his wife in his own image. Christ gets to do that. He gets to create us in his image. And he gets to create our wives in his image. And so we shouldn't do anything to interfere with our wives being... Conform to the image of Christ. Doesn't mean that she has to think your thoughts agree with your every position. Doesn't mean you can speak ill of her, put her down because she's the submissive one. You're the head. Being head, and this is an interesting one. Being head doesn't mean that a man stops being a man. By that I mean this. I'm sure that every wife at one point in time has thought... He doesn't understand me like my women friends do. And that's true. That's why wives need women friends. Why men need men friends because our wives don't understand us as husbands as other husbands, other men do. But that doesn't mean you become a woman. She doesn't need you to be a sister. She needs you to be A man. There is a way that a man acts and responds that is masculine, that a woman needs. Now, I can't give you four points on what those points of masculinity are. If I did that, only half of you would understand. The other half would think I'm wrong. And half of you would be right. I don't know which half but we all know what that means a woman needs a man and while he may not be able to understand he may not be able to enter into every feeling or every thought that she has he needs to respond as a man she needs to be able to receive that response because he will respond yes gently, yes tenderly this doesn't mean that men get to be Neanderthals that men just simply need to, to, to swashbuckle their way through life but it means in his masculine gentleness in his masculine tenderness there will become through that more than oh poor baby what will come through there is I love you and I'm standing here with you to protect you to care for you to provide for you you are not alone and that must be there you see it doesn't mean that we become women in order to love our wives and to be head. A woman needs a man. A man needs a woman. Not only that, but it doesn't mean to be head. That a husband affirms everything that his wife desires. In the same way we said that women don't submit to sin. If their, wives, if their husbands want them to sin, or a wife doesn't submit to that, needn't submit to that. A husband should not affirm sin in his wife. Uh, There's a way to kindly, graciously, affectionately, correct and help. Bring that to the attention of your wife. Not to do it harshly, but if a wife desires that which is sinful, that which would not be good even for her, for the family, a husband evaluates that and tenderly, lovingly, does not affirm that. He isn't sacrificing himself that his wife can sin and not only that but the place of head doesn't take the responsibility of his wife to develop her own spirituality her own spiritual life while he can pray for her he cannot pray her prayers for her she still must pray while he can study with her and share what he is learning still he can't do her study for her of the scripture Well, While he can exercise faith on behalf of her, he can't exercise the faith that she must exercise as a follower of Christ. She just doesn't simply rest in him in that sense. She rests in Christ and she must pray and she must mature. She must study. She must mature as a follower of Christ. She must be obedient in her own life. I was thinking recently, and just for my own life, I don't usually share these things because I don't like being held accountable. And once I share them, then the cat is out of the bag. But I wrote these things, to hope I can read them, about for me what it means to be head. Head. that I want to be a husband who wakes up each morning and thinks first of his wife. Have I done all that I must do so that she's ready to face this day? I want my wife to love being my wife. And this not purely out of obedience to Christ. You know, guys, when your wife comes to you and says, the only reason I'm staying with you is because I'm a Christian woman. (laughs) That's good. I'm glad she's a Christian woman and I'm glad she's staying. But you sort of want her to say, and I like you too. (laughs) I want my wife to love being my wife. Not purely out of obedience to Christ, but because because I live my, my life In a way that makes her proud. I live my life in such a way that lets her know that she's loved and respected. I live my life in such a way that she knows that she is my delight. I pray a prayer uh, at every wedding I do, generally. Um, It has this expression as I pray for the husband. The expression is, May his strength Be her protection, his character be her boast and her pride, and may he live that she may find in him the haven for which the heart of a woman truly longs. May his soul be so wide a sea that she may launch her all on its strong tide. I didn't write that, but I want to be that. I wrote this I said, um, I want my wife. To delight in being submissive. For she knows that I will listen to her. That I respect her. And that I only want what is best for her as reflects the glory of Christ. I want my wife to be utterly satisfied in following Christ. More specifically, I want to live my life in such a way that because she is around me. She wants to follow him. I want my wife to be so secure in my love for her that however anyone else treats her, whatever anyone else says to her, indeed, whatever else she does, she can't wait to retreat to me. I want to live my life so that she is equipped to take on all that will come her way knowing that I stand ready to put myself between her and danger be it physical or spiritual. You can get the tape from the second service. I'll read those a lot better. Yeah. So, how can this be? How can any of us even hope to be that? How can any man? First of all, I think this that husbands must understand that God is with us, and that which He calls us to, He will equip us to do as we depend upon Him. We have the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is a great example, but, but, but it's also intimidating. I mean, it's a Jesus. We're supposed to be like Him in this. How can we do that? And, and He says, trust me. That's my job. Uh, look at me. Uh, gaze upon me. And in your gazing, oh, I will cause you to reflect me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. The apostle writes, And we, with, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord or being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Jesus says to men, husbands, look at me, watch me, meditate upon me, and as you do, I will transform you. I will transform you. And Paul has been telling us all the while, he says that we need to put our gaze upon Christ to, 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 to place our eyes upon Him to, to, to seek the things He says that are above where Christ is. He's the authority. He is our, our Lord. We're to do that. So men, we need to be doing that. How do we do that? Well, we study the Scripture. And we study the Scripture together as men. We're in Bible studies together so that we learn together. We're not independent, but we're learning together. Men learning with and from men as we seek Christ together where he is above to follow after him it comes in our life of prayer we must pray individually must pray together that God will help us sustain us enable us to be this we can't be this without dependence upon him and so we must pray and all of this of course so that we may love our wives rightly but also we may teach husbands our sons how to do this they'll learn it from us They'll come to understand how it is to, to treat their wives from us. <laughs> about a year and a half ago, Joshua, my son, called me. And he was all frustrated and upset. And he had been tiling his bathroom. And he was, showed me later a picture that had been taken. of I him. Mean, he was covered from head to toe in tile soot. And uh, there he was, looked hilarious. And he, but he was really upset. And I said, well, why did it go badly? He said, well, not that badly. I said, what are you upset about? He said, well, I just, I just yelled at Nicole he said I was just frustrated and I said well tell Nicole it was my fault and he said what do you mean (laughs) I said two things one I never taught you how to tile your bathroom (laughs) I pay for those things I said however I did teach you to yell at your wife when you're frustrated I'm sorry My sons will learn from us he has enough sin in himself that even if I didn't teach him that he'd probably pick it up along the way But you know what I mean. So we must, you see, love our wives. And we must, gentlemen, do this together. We must learn together. We must study together. We we must be that person so that we can lead our wives. Because if we're not gleaning from the word, how can they? If we're not filled with joy because of what the scripture teaches us, how will they be filled with joy because of what the the scripture teaches them? Because, you see, we're to lead them in this. We're to lead our families. We're to lead our children. We're to be first at church. So it isn't a woman thing, it's a man thing, it isn't a wife thing, it's a husband thing, it isn't a submissive thing, it's a head thing, that we're the first tier. We lead our families out, we lead our families to come, we enjoy this. We say, yes, this is, this is what is right for our family to do. And when anything comes into play that could, could damage the spiritual relationships that our wives would have or our children would have with God, then we step in and we say, no, we won't allow that, we can't do that. So even in the context of our culture, as soccer games and baseball games and football games are on Sunday mornings and, and youth group gets missed because of all of these kinds of things, we stand with our children. And we say, no, that can't be. I'm worried about your spiritual development more than I am your athletic development. And so, so, so these things are important for you. So come and, and grow, you see, and these things and these things of God. And that's the very place a man must be. But he must be real in that. That must be true for him. He must really buy into all of that. You can't fake this. because you will fail, you'll struggle and fall in the midst of this. And of course, as the apostle says in Colossians 3, we must put off that which is inconsistent with following after Christ. We must put off sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In our culture, there isn't anything that damages headship more than pornography and sexual infidelity. There isn't anything that will rip of the heart of a wife than that. A man is to be head of his wife. He must put all of that to death. He must put away anger. A woman does not delight in submitting to an angry man. We must put away malice, the kinds of things that we say, and slander, the kinds of things that we might say about our wives. We can't say them, we can't think them, because she will not delight in submitting to a man who says such things of her. We must put on compassion and kindness uh, as masculine qualities to, to see our wife in need and, and desire to help, to be kind to her, to be nice to think right thoughts, to desire the best for her, to do those kinds of things which make her know that she's appreciated and loved, to be humble and meek, to know that we're joint heirs together of this grace. Joint heirs meaning I need forgiveness from Christ as much as she needs forgiveness from Christ. I'm no better than she is. Here we are together in this equal, and and, and thus I come humbly to help because God has called me to this, and I trust he'll strengthen me for that. and he doesn't, I'm sunk. It isn't that I'm strong in and of myself physically, spiritually. It's, it's that, that, that God is strengthening me. And so I come humbly and meekly to help. I'm patient. I bear with her. Men and women are different. I hope that's not a new thought for you. It's difficult for women to bear with men and the kinds of things that we go through as men. It's difficult for men to bear with their wives and the kinds of things that women go through as women. Because we're different. We don't get it and understand. I say things to Karen like, I know you're crying, I just don't know why. And she looks at me and she says, I know this about you, I just don't know why. We know those things. About, we bear with each other in the midst of those differences. We forgive. At the time in a wedding, I tell a couple they never hear me because they're looking into each other's eyes deeply and don't believe this is true till the next day. And they wish they'd have listened. We hurt each other. Hopefully in marriage many of those hurts will be unintentional but the truth of the matter is some of them will be intentional we'll know we're hurting even while we're doing it that's why forgiveness is so necessary in the context of a marriage relationship and then of course the apostle says put on love that's the point you see husbands we are to love our wives as Christ has loved the church and given himself for her that she might be a radiant bride. Let's pray, Father. I pray for me, all the husbands, all the men, might someday be husbands for the wives and the women, for us all, Father. First and foremost, that we would follow after you. That would be our heart's desire, married or not. And Father, for husbands, most especially, I pray that we would follow after you. to know you deeply so that our knowledge of you can be expressed in our joy and our our love for wives wives so Father help us I pray I know God there's hurts and pains in marriages I pray that this would be a day that begins healing that husbands who have not been loving rightly would repent, that wives who have not been submitting joyfully would repent. And the Father we could then grow relationships in such a way that people could look upon them and say, Oh, I see Christ in that. That would be our prayer God. And even in this moment, Father, as we're together we, we pray for those in Various kinds of needs we pray today for our dear Eileen. God, that you would grant her grace and strength to on the one hand endure all that you call her to and yet, Father, we still plead with you to heal her. Father, we pray for Scott and the kids that you would be with them. That their faith would grow strong that contrary to what any in the world would think that they would come to love you more in the midst of this trial and for us all father that we can love deeply this family and others who are going through difficulty we don't know all the things that everybody's going through god you do but we pray for the various difficulties be they financial be they relational be they emotional be they material Father, we would be a people that would follow hard after Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for the benediction. As you do, I remind you that there'll be, there are elders available to pray in the office area after the service. Please uh, take advantage of that.